Hello and welcome to another episode of the Atlas Podcast. My name is Alex. I'm joined by Martin, as always. Hello, Martin. Hello, Alex. Uh, ten podcasts. This is podcast number ten. Double figures. We made oh, it. Yeah. Now we just look towards triple figures. Even my daughter listens to it. Hey, nice. We're getting the young crowd. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, okay. So today uh, we're going to take a look at a news piece I turned up about Salesforce uh, using their commercial platform to help vaccine distribution in America. We're also joined by uh, our UX designer at Atlas, Kawani Dolin. Uh, and later on, we have an interview with uh, an ATS colleague, Rob Valent. Uh, so, from the Netherlands. From the Netherlands, indeed, from ATS Netherlands. Mm-hmm. So, this news piece, I spotted it last week and I thought, as a, a cloud based business, it was an interesting thing to discuss um, because we have talked previously about technology's role in things like the pandemic and. Uh, Salesforce have unveiled something called Vaccine Cloud, which they're using to help distribute uh, COVID-19 vaccines in America. Yeah, so it's an interesting uh, interesting case on two points, really, because Salesforce, um, well, we talk a little bit about it, is obviously was built on cloud kind of technology, but was fronted by this um, more around the CRM side of things, but has uh, developed into a a low-code apps platform as well, which is um, interesting in itself. Um, And we've also seen quite a lot of these technology providers offering up a lot of support. Um, You've seen the same with with Amazon, uh, you know, as soon as Biden was um, sworn in, a lot of the tech businesses were more than willing to um, support with the the vaccine program. So mm. I think it is that combination of big tech meeting big government, um, um, but using maybe altruistically losing the cloud to support the rollout of the um, of the vaccine program. Yeah, I know Amazon in the UK um, were also the company that distributed home testing kits. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that service we've been used to for a while of you order something and it arrives the next day and suddenly has a very real-life application, which uh, obviously benefits a lot of people. And it's interesting because they have that logistic system set up for a commercial purpose that suddenly becomes very useful for almost a humanitarian purpose. Yeah, and this is all to do with the sort of frictionless supply chain. And Mm. frictionless supply chain also requires a frictionless data. You know, it has to go hand in hand um, and data has to be processed. um, And that's what we talked about before. The the power of the cloud is it's elastic computing capability that you can either have one user using the systems or a million users using the system. As long as you've allowed the cloud to expand mm. um, or you know scale out, as the terminology used to be called, um, at least you scale those processes out, then you can build things pretty rapidly. I think mm. the other thing that comes in with things like Salesforce is, is that concept of low-code um, app development, which we talked about with the Mendix platform before. Mm-hmm. Um, but here is a, it's it's a it's a low code platform built within the uh, within the cloud provider itself, which there are several. I know Amazon and also 
Microsoft and Google all are vying in that space. So it's a very active space. But what the difference is there is, yeah, you have to still develop a piece of code and you still have to deploy that code into the cloud application. Um, but what that does mean, you can be quite um, specific with what that app's doing. And here, they're very much looking at, you know, helping the government agencies and the healthcare providers um, to schedule and monitor um, the vaccine distribution. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting application um, of technology, maybe altruism. I'm sure that it's also getting themselves some, um, um, uh, some press within that, which is obviously we've picked up on it as well. So, um, of course, part of that. Um, yeah. yeah, I think one of the the interesting bits about it is it's like you say, it's uh, it's an analytics thing as well. So they're not just helping distribute. They're also analyzing how the distribution is going, where there's insights to be had. And yeah, how all of these disparate public health organizations can coordinate better based on how they're coordinating already, which I think is one of the really powerful things about this sort of networked computing. And it's also including um, some of the business things though. They talk about the spin out of businesses. And obviously we've done a similar thing with um, Atlas here. We've we spun out um, really from that kind of conceptual side uh, from ATS Global to make sure that we can keep that agile nature about it. And they're talking about this work.com offering um, for that kind of spin out of the business. So it's encompassing many of those things that Silicon Valley um, uh, and as we talk with um, Kwani about the kind of MVP approach, how agile you can be, how scalable you can be. Um, and it really is quite far removed from the traditional type of um, application development that um, takes tries to achieve a lot of requirements and only mm. releases once a year, and therefore you've got to update the technology stack in a very slow manner. Um, and it's all a part of that, um, yeah, continuous integration, continuous delivery of rapid app development, um, but, yeah, using yeah. all those kind of technologies. So it's, it's really proving those use cases out there that um, can uh, really benefit everybody, um, hopefully. Um, yeah. And I think it's, like you say, in a circumstance like this, doing things the old way, by the time the development cycle was done and the deployment was done, the issue would either be sorted or 10 times worse. So, yeah, having something that can be um, adapted and changed and grown as it's being used um, obviously fits the bill. Yep. Um, and I think... It's back to what we're saying with COVID, it's changing the world around us. And maybe these technologies are already there, but it's given an urgency around them. It's given the motivation to start moving it. And we're seeing the same thing with, with lots of businesses who have been talking about industry for talking about cloud, suddenly going, oh, actually, it's about time we, <laughs> we considered this. Um, seriously. And we've seen it more on the manufacturing side with the uh, life science businesses. It's becoming mm. that sector has become far more active, where traditionally it's an it's a um, conservative. Uh, well, manufacturing itself is conservative, um, but life science businesses are ultra conservative because they have a lot of things called um, they have a GAMP, which is a way that they have to um, 
make sure that they've got the right controls and procedures and they have to do all this validation and checking and you know which we all appreciate that that, that is a completely validated um process but what mm. we need to get to is that we can have validated processes that are also agile and develop you know as long as we've got the kind of traceability that goes with it and we can prove um things uh, are valid and being validated in a dynamic way, then there's no harm in change. And we don't have to wait years before we make those changes happen. Yeah, it's sort of proving out that those two necessities aren't mutually exclusive, that they can exactly. exist together. That's yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah. Fascinating stuff. Okay, well, uh, I think we'll obviously, anytime something like this comes up, we'll talk about it. But uh, how about we get into a chat about UX? So, for this tech spot in the Atlas podcast, we are joined, Martin and I, by our colleague, Kawani, who's going to talk to us about UX design. Hello, Kawani. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Kawani. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. <laughs> we got the gang back together. Hmm? <laughs> uh, yeah, so UX design. Uh, do you want to briefly explain what it is, what the principles are, and then we can get into how we use it in our, our day-to-day yeah, absolutely. So we could define UX design as the process of designing products that are useful, easy to use, and delightful to interact with. Um, and the main principles of UX design are, as I just mentioned, being useful, usable, valuable, accessible, desirable as well. Um, I, and I, I like to summarize that all into just being convenient, aren't they? It's like it's like the mobile phone. Why is the mobile phone so well adopted, adapted? It's because everyone finds it just so convenient. Mm. Yeah, totally convenient and centered on the users. Yeah. So yeah, the U users, the X is experience. So yeah, how Correct, how yeah. you experience anything from uh, software technology? Uh, I guess UX touches pretty much everything. Yeah, it does. Basically, starting from the research um, and just talking to users and then get into the actual creation of products and then delivery and iteration. So let's um, let's assume we start from the beginning there, Kwani. And um, so so where, where how do you go about finding what the uh, users are interested in? What's the kind of uh, methodology that UX designers follow and um, what kind of uh, tools are used during that methodology? So there are many methodologies, but the one that I personally use and that is widely used by designers as well is called the Double Diamond Framework, which was originally developed by Design Council. Um, And it's basically an iterative framework that goes from problem to solution and back (laughs) and is formed by four uh, stages that are discovery, um, well, discover, define, develop, and then deliver. So you always start with a discovery phase where you do research, you analyze the data that you got, and then you start defining um, what the solution could be and start brainstorming and sketching based on the user data that you gathered. And then after that, um, going into development, where you prototype, test, and refine your designs, 
and finally into delivery and then iteration from there. So basically starting from the top again. And in terms of mm, tools, it really depends on the phase where you are, but um, there are many tools that UX designers use, especially for research. For example, Hotjar is one of those. It's a tool that records users' sessions. So it's really useful for the iteration um, and also how users are using your product. So you can actually see where they're clicking, what they're doing, how they're scrolling on the page, if on, on websites or how they're using your mobile apps. Uh, but if we are talking about research, then just having a place where you can sketch. So for example, a tool that I use is called Whimsical and it's a whiteboard online where you sketch, add, um, and just do mind maps as well. Um, and I also really like using Airtable, which is a mix between um, spreadsheets and databases and it's online. Um, and you can basically input a huge amount of data and get um, the results that you want. Yeah, um, and very, then it's a very easy, uh, easy way of just um, sharing some ideas, isn't it? All of those types of things. And um, what, what other, what other, um, what other sources do you find? Because we talk about the kind of electronic side of that, but um, what about sitting down with the user and all these types of things that go on and during that? Um, yeah, absolutely. So that's unfortunately now with COVID times, um, it's uh, you need to do it online. But ideally, um, usability sessions with the users are really great. So just sitting down with people, uh, showing them what you have, even on paper, so prototypes, and then listening to them and understanding their needs, really, that's very important. But now we do it online. <laughs> yeah. Before we dive into the other phases and some of the tools, what 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 is your favorite phase of the process? What do well, you most look forward to going ah, deep <laughs> into this now? I would say I really like the discovery part because it's really interesting to understand what the users want. Um, and I also like the other side of the double diamond. So the moment where you're delivering something that your team has worked on for a while and hopefully the users will love. So let's maybe start at the other end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that part there is, a, what's the working relationship like then with the development team and how do you, how do you uh, transition your ideas and thoughts now that we've established what we want to do? Um, how do you how do you go about that? Because there's always that kind of with any design um, between the actual design and the make, whether that's software or any product, um, there's always a slightly different um, uh, what's what what the designer would like and what's capable uh, of achieving. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I find that it really depends on the people that you're working with. So when you're working with someone uh, that gets design, for example, currently in the Atlas team, I work with Gary, um, is a UI developer and he's really, really great because he really understands designs and he really champions the users as well. 
So with him, it's a, well, it's a process from the start, really, because uh, we communicate daily, um, we brainstorm together. I often ask him, is this doable? Can we do it? <laughs> mm -hmm. Or what do you think the best uh, solution is here? And we have these chats, which I think are very important because um, he sees my side, the design part, and I see his side, the development part. Um, and I like to, you know, create the best designs that we can achieve, but I also understand that that's not always possible technically. So we are always happy to compromise um, on, on what we deliver. So when we really can't decide, it's more about lo looking at what the users want or need, or if it's just, a, well, preference from his side or my side, um, we just try to compromise on the things that are more important for us. Um, and in terms of the actual delivery, uh, we use a tool that is called Zeppelin, um, and it allows me to upload my designs from Sketch, which is another tool that I use. Um, and I upload my designs on this tool, Zeppelin, uh, that transforms them in, well, just um, in a more developer accessible format. So Gary and the team, they can just log in into Zeppelin and then there they have all the specifications and pixels and colors and so on. So the handover is really quite simple and quick. And that handover also relies on um some some uh, template concepts isn't there around things like um angular material design and things like that which also helps with that um transition of knowledge between designer and developer yeah absolutely in fact we do use material design and that's really helpful because um, for example we use the same icon library so i input icons in the designs but then Gary doesn't need to export them. He just uh, uses the library for material design. So that's great. And it's also great for understanding the designs and understanding the patterns that we want to use. So have we missed out anything? We kind of skipped the middle bit because I was interested in the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so is there any other, any other bits? I'm sure I know there's lots of bits that you... Uh, the amount of tools uh, that you've uh, introduced to our our uh, process is amazing. But um, yeah, what other, what other nuggets of information you got for us? Well, I guess, yeah, the middle part <laughs> in which um, the sketch becomes a design um, and that's also part of the cycle in the sense that after talking to the users, we also talk to the team internally, and that's very helpful, especially for more complex products, such as, for example, Optimize, a product that we are working on right now, um, which allows to manage resources using Atlas Play as well. Um, and it's great to hear more from other parts of the team and then also utilize personas. So um, just uh, user scenarios and use cases that inform the designs and the outcomes. And, that, and that's more where you and I operate, isn't it? Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's probably the reality of it. Is that I'm always going, yeah, what's the user persona? What's the jobs to do? Exactly. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I guess as unofficial, uh, one of my hats is to be the product owner. 
Um, mm-hmm. We're kind of debating then what 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 in the backlog do we want to promote and go from those kind of sketches to detailed designs and things like that, um, uh, as well as a part of that. Because the, the, the double diamond is very much expanding of ideas at the beginning and then trying to bring those ideas back to a single point, which you can then focus what you're going to actually uh, uh, bring into the prototype phase. Um, and that in itself is quite an intuitive process, isn't it? Because what do people want um, is fine, but when do they want it is always <laughs> a little bit more to, difficult to engage because everybody wants everything now, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we, have, we have to take a few, uh, a few um, uh, assumptions ourselves going, okay, we need to move the product forward in this way, but we also want to bring in that aspect of um, the, maybe talk, yeah, talk a little bit about MVP then, maybe uh, how does MVP come into this overall um, approach? Yeah, so minimum viable product, that's very important because as I was saying before, although I would like all the designs to be perfect, um, that's not the reality of a company, especially an innovation lab like ours. So um, what we do is decide what is important in a first release of a product, for example, um, and just compromise on what we can have and what we can't, but then iterate from there. But it's a very agile um, methodology because it allows us to move faster and to achieve results faster. And it's better to have something that is maybe not perfect out there, but is live and is used by users uh, than not to have anything at all. <laughs> yeah. So, and I know during that design phase process, we often start with where we want it to be at the ultimate end, uh, or not maybe the ultimate end, but uh, you know the, the not MVP. But we want to frame out that 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 whole design, and then we have to pair it back to the MVP because we want to try and create um, uh, work that we can deploy within a two three week um, uh, development exercise. Yeah, exactly. So you have to choose what is important. Yeah, I think it's very interesting on that note how people's expectations have changed from buying, I mean, maybe 15, 20 years ago, you bought a product, it was finished, that's how you (laughs) use it, to now, if you're not updating or hot fixing or iterating, people feel like their program is stale somehow, where it becomes a much more living thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's very true. Yeah. I remember when I bought um, Adobe Photoshop 20 years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. And that's a part of all the tools that you have as well. And that's why there's probably so many different tools for different jobs as a part of that design process is because they them themselves are always uh, iterating and improving and um, adapting and changing continuously as well. So we are in a in a in a world that everything is changing, but it's changing in a controlled way that is traceable and understandable. Um, but yeah, we have to we have to be really dynamic with the way that we deliver all the way through that design chain into development, um, and then develop these um, uh, minimum viable or up, upgrades to what we're doing within a matter of days. Um, and that's uh, that's that continuous integration 
continuous delivery approach that we adopt. Mm. Yeah. And Kwani is the key element at the front of that process. So <laughs> <laughs> the linchpin. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's all teamwork. So. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Kwani. That was a fascinating talk. I'm sure we will uh, come back around to have another look at UX sometime in the future. I'll do a bit of a deep dive into one of those areas. Huh? Thank good. you for having me. All right. Thank you for joining us. So for this interview portion of the Atlas podcast, Martin and I are joined by one of our ATS Global colleagues, Rob Valent. Thank you for joining us, Rob. Good morning. Uh, if you'd like to just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you got started at ATS. Yeah, good morning. Uh, thank you for having me. It's an honor. Um, Rob Valent, uh, I work for ATS for 25, 23 years at the moment. I'm the managing director for the uh, the Benelux operations so Netherlands, Belgium, and, uh, and Luxembourg. Um, and before I uh, started at ATS, I worked with uh, at the AEG, uh, a large company that was at that time very similar, let's say, to to Siemens. We were not allowed to do anything with uh, with Siemens; uh, it had to be AEG. Uh, I have an engineering background, so um, so I did a lot of project work uh, locally and, uh, and internationally. I like to travel, um, and uh, but uh, 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 our first uh, child was was born, and then traveling is getting a lot harder. And and um, I wanted to stay in engineering, and especially specifically in in programming areas, so PLCs, SCADA systems, and things like that. Um, and I bumped into ATS uh, as a company where uh, that would be possible and where I didn't have to travel so much. Um, so it was, let's say, the ideal combination. Um, and then I got introduced to Mike James, uh, uh, one of the owners, and Hans Daman. Yeah, and, uh, we, interviewed, we interviewed Mike in the first podcast. That was very uh, Ah, okay, very good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so I'm very impressed with his personality. And uh, Hans Daman was more let's say, the technical brain at that time. So he really wanted to have an in-depth technical discussion with me to see what's going on in this guy and what does he want and what, is he, uh, what are his uh, abilities. And it clicked somehow. And uh, so I joined ITS. And, uh, well, from from the start, I started in a support function. I got the opportunity to, to grow in, in several uh, positions, uh, leading teams uh, where, yeah, the, I somehow had a talent in helping people out in uh, doing their jobs uh, better, and then eventually into my uh, well current position as a managing director for the Benelux area. For uh, that's about um, um, 170 people at the moment. Yeah, mm. Hans now is our um, is our yoga guru, isn't he? He's moved on from being well, I'm not, not moved on from being our technical um, guidance, but uh, also very much into. It kind of reminded me when you talk about different positions. I was thinking, yeah, yeah, um, Hans is very much the let's say the uh, the technical brain of the company. So yeah. he he is uh, very intelligent, and and uh, this is a guy that doesn't read any manuals or things like that. He he has everything in his head. Yeah? So pricing, order numbers, and things like that. So he's in that sense sometimes scary. Yeah, what he mm -hmm. what he what he is able to do. 
so we help, and he's very helpful to everybody that he uh, that he uh, that he can uh, mm, yeah. can help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he does like to get involved with everything, doesn't he? So yeah, um, and wait, since you've been at ATS, obviously you know twenty three years is a as a long time. Most of the majority of the of the business, how how's it changed? Um, as a business, you know, obviously we're kind of based in the headquarters in um, the Netherlands, but um, how's it moved and changed since you've been involved with it? Uh, it changed a lot over the years. Um, the, the sectors and the customers that we work for, uh, well, it, it, it will stay the same uh, because the, the majority of our customers are customers in the manufacturing area. So they, uh, they actually produce products in food and health, food and beverage, uh, pharmaceutical sector, automotive, aerospace. Uh, but we added a lot of more services. Uh, uh, so ATS started before I joined as a, as a, a product reselling uh, company. And then gradually uh, it was extended with services like uh, providing training on these products and solutions, having engineers that can implement and install and program these solutions. Uh, and, and, and added on top of that doing fixed price projects. So where we on a on a fixed scope that the customer defines together with us, uh, uh, do a fixed price project where you, you have clear um, deliverables for the for the project project. And and ATS grew very much. Um, yeah, so when I joined, ATS was in the Netherlands, uh, Germany, Belgium, and and uh, the UK. As I if I recall that correctly. And we grew well into a situation where we, uh, where we have, I think, 27 countries now at the moment globally. So it grew very rapidly for for uh, dozens of people into well, more than thousands at the moment. Yeah, exactly. It's um, and well, the, a lot changed. global name and the global ambition there, wasn't it? I think from the outset, really. Absolutely, and and the uh, and internet made a big difference. I think. A funny story is that uh, when I first joined ATS uh, in our Harlem office, our, our global office, there was one internet PC. So it was mm -hmm. detached from the uh, internal network. It was in the hallway uh, with a chair in front of it. So everybody could see that you were interneting, <laughs> as they call this, uh, because uh, yeah, management was very much afraid that everybody would would be using internet, but not for the right purpose, eh? doing, uh, doing all kinds <laughs> of funny stuff. Which obviously never happened, and it became a very uh, important tool for us, uh, also in our globalization. Uh, but yeah, if you look look back at that period and now, it's you, you yeah, it's you, you can't compare it. Huh? Yeah, I, it's, it's remembering those times. The first time you saw the internet, <laughs> it's like. What's yeah. this now then? <laughs> I think it was something like this was the browser of the time. You think yeah, Netscape I, I, Navigator. I, I remember yeah. it well. Correct, yeah. I I, I, I got involved with internet before uh, an internet browser was a thing. Yeah, it didn't exist. Um, so CompuServe was a, was a, a major uh, a power in, in connecting the people uh, in, the world, in the world together. I. I, I remember the research that in the Netherlands, when I joined, there were 150,000 uh, private uh, persons that were using the internet, <laughs> and mm -hmm. I was one of them. So I was, yeah, not knowing, uh, but very early in the, in the process. At, at that time, it was predominantly used by the universities mm -hmm. uh, and the military and large uh, governmental uh, uh, bodies. 
but yeah, and then grew into yeah, the situation where we're in uh, now in in uh, yeah, a connected world, right? Mm. Yeah, and that tagline really about Industry 4 being the adoption of those internet technologies into an industrial domain, really. So that's yes. A, yes. one of our yeah. challenges today, isn't it? It's even it's how it's matured and grown in the public domain, um, but still slightly a slower adoption in the industrial domain, I would say, um, even if yeah. some of those technologies have been adopted, not necessarily all of them. Yeah, the industrial domain is uh, more conservative, so it's not growing as rapidly as uh, as as you well as in the consumer market. So, uh, the, but the industry is also pushed by the consumer market because they the consumers demand a lot more personalized products, uh, products with their name on it, uh, 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 small uh, small quantities of products uh, specifically aimed at uh, their needs. Uh, so, some manufacturers are are are, are yeah, confronted by, let's say, not an order for one order for a thousand pieces of a specific material of a product, but thousand orders for all individual products. Yeah, that they have to produce, mm. which is a huge burden on their on their ERP systems. Uh, it's a lot more complicated, difficult, um, and that is rapidly growing. And then, yeah, basically with smart manufacturing industry uh, 4.0 on top of that. Uh, at the beginning stages, uh, Corona helped in that sense uh, for companies to really understand what it is necessary and, and force them into thinking more digitally. But there's a mm. lot more to do than than we do at the moment. Yeah, it's it's not that we get called every day uh, we want a digital factory. That that's not the case. It's always changing, adding, uh, fixing issues, uh, uh, upgrading all kinds of different products or situations that you're in it's more of an iterative process yes yeah and very much based on adding value to what the customer needs at that moment so what what is adding value to their product at that specific time that could be the production process make that more efficient uh, higher quality higher volume quicker to market um so all yeah all individual uh inter 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 how did you say that it's a difficult word for me. <laughs> so step-by-step -step approach, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, no worries. So, yeah, thinking of that, um, Rob, there's some big changes happening for you as a business. We talked about, you know, being in ATS for quite a while, but actually some big changes in the Netherlands for you guys. Um, what, what's happening for you at the moment? Um, <clears throat> Yeah, well, we, we I think I can talk about it for days, but let's let's limit the time on, on <laughs> what we are doing. Um, um, the, the basic trend that you see is is uh, having uh, data available and make that available for, for instance, for reporting to to know what your uh, what's happening in your production process, which machines are in downtime, are running, and and what the reasons are. Um, so uh, getting to that data uh, used to be a, a big issue, especially with uh, with all the systems and uh, in general the production side, uh, they have old and new systems, uh, different brands and things like that. And as we are an independent solution provider, we can basically yeah, find uh, a solution to connect all these systems together. That used to be uh, complex. It used to be very expensive. Uh, from the perspective view of uh, of our prospects and our, our uh, clients, but now it's coming more and more available. Uh, it's easier. Uh, there are a lot more products that, that that can do it. 
So it, it, the answer to can we do this? Can we get this data into our ERP system? The, the, the answer now is always yes. Mm. And then you look at the, the possibilities to, that there are and, and the customer then chooses the right uh, the right um, solution for their need at that at that moment. Um, yeah. But what we try to do is is uh, is use products that already are that already exist, yeah? so that are available in the market, that have proven proven reliability. Uh, but uh, the the trend in the, let's say the last two years is that um, some companies have such uh, specialistic business processes that standard software is is not available. So it's it's simply not there, or if it's there, it's a huge burden to change it to a needs. You you could have that on the ERP level, yeah, uh, but you can also have that on the controls level uh, or on MESMOM level, the, the in between level. Uh, so then they start looking for customizable software where you will don't want to program, but really want to look at the processes that you want to automate. And and expect that it generates the the, the, the source code itself, basically, what are now low code and 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 uh, low code and no code solutions, where you have a process in place, so a visual representation of your business process, um, and based on how you define that process, it generates the um, the application basically for you. It sounds a little bit better than it is because it's in its the first stages on, of development. But it helps a lot. We have a customer which is in the meat sector, uh, and one of our teams is using a platform that's called uh, Thinkwise. There are more uh, local no platforms. Um, but this platform uh, enabled us to do more work with the same amount of people. Mm -hmm. So we're very much in need of very good engineers that can do the, the work. They are not very available in the market. Uh, everybody has work. Uh, they're well paid, so they're not. They don't have to change jobs. Um, so uh, we we have our own engineers, but, but they are forced with a higher workload than they than they can handle. And no code, low code seems to be a very good solution for that because it takes away a lot of testing time. It takes away a lot of complexity. It is easier to talk to your customer and not only let's say the IT manager, but also the operator uh, who could be involved with a, a process that they want to automate. And they understand these processes because it's a graphical representation of the process. So they see pictures and they understand the flow of the process and they don't have to think in if then else structures. Yeah. It's normally very difficult to, to, to have a discussion over. So it really helps. So we, we, we have far better iteration, don't you? I mean, you get to see the results far quicker, and therefore you don't have that kind of waterfall design approach. You're, you're in a more agile situation where the, 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 you, the customer can see what they're going to get before they get it as well um, through prototyping. Absolutely, and it's very easy to uh, represent, to, to, to show, eh, to show what the effects are and what you do, and then you get these, these, these discussions of, okay, yeah. Okay. If I but if he does that, then it does not do this in this situation. So can we add that? Well, you add it, and then you, you show it again. So it's very agile. You can adapt it to your flavor. We we replaced a complete CRM system, so customer relationship management system, at a uh, a mid-sized company where they were um, you know, not happy with the current CRM system was all, but was also outdated, and other uh, CRM systems were. Uh, 
too, too well too large, too 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 complicated and too expensive for them, and they decided to give us the uh, assignment to replace the CRM CRM system with a very um, uh, let's say a very basic CRM system, which fills all their needs. Yeah. Uh, and and we, if you look at programming time compared to uh, let's say real uh, programming time, like in in uh, in uh, .NET environment, for instance, it's about we we save about one third of 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 time in in doing the actual work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you if you do multiple projects on this, uh, in parallel, for instance, that saves you a massive amount of time. And, and that can't be underestimated. That one third of work and also time to value is increased for the customer. Yeah, um, lots of great stuff. So yeah, it's a really interesting area. Um, we have done some. Uh, we did talk to um, uh, Marco Cherigino from Mendix, who also you know provide these types of platforms as well <laughs> previously. So definitely an area growing. Um, and it yeah it meets that requirement of tailoring people's software requirements and delivering in a fast way i mean it's uh, to see whether it will um ultimately replace um you know uh cots products um commercially off the shelf products we'll see but um it's an interesting development that's for sure yeah the customer is is, is not is is uh, the, the other change is, is also that the customers are not really interested in features anymore they're much more interested in the value it generates mm -hmm. for them they expect that these features are available yeah so it's a different way of thinking uh, but yeah. also a different demand they just expect uh, that we can solve their problem yeah yeah uh, and they like don't like <laughs> yeah uh, well yeah uh, i think uh, uh, that's not on low code uh, platform but um we got called just over the summer holidays by a pharmaceutical company in the, in denmark where they uh, wanted to replace all their uh, existing SCADA, so the visualization uh, systems at their plant that have different brands, so from different brands, and they wanted to replace this with one uh, with one SCADA system. So all the machines that they have are then controlled by this one brand of uh, 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 visualization screens to control the machines, set the, mach the speeds, and, and, and so on. Uh, and they um, they promised their management that a prototype uh, would be ready by the end of the summer holidays. Uh, their integrator was not able to do the work. So, uh, yeah, I got a kind of a, a panic call over a landline. Yeah, we still have calls over the landline. <laughs> uh, wow. if, we, if we can help them out in, in uh, doing this pilot project uh, on a very short notice, just to prove the value to that company. So if the pilot project would be successful, then they could convince their management that this was the way forward. Um, and we're now working on uh, on successful uh, projects after that. So the pilot project was successfully um, uh, concluded. And they have to trust that this is the way forward in doing so. Yeah? So, uh, um, but this is, a, yeah, it's very much demand-driven, uh, problem-driven. Uh, and we love to do those those challenging challenges that they put on to us. This is probably, if they call me and they say, okay, this is probably something you can't do, then they do us a big favor because normally we, we can. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I'm looking at the time. I think we might have to wrap up pretty soon. Um, but what, 
If we could end on perhaps what you're most excited about the future in terms of emergent technologies and yeah, the opportunities that these things provide. Uh, the emerging opportunities, blah, uh, many. Um, uh, the digital factory uh, is 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 a, uh, a self-organizing factory. These are the the dots on the uh, on the horizon that we are picturing now. All the, tele the technology is there, and step by step we will grow into that uh, situation where basically everything works together, where your planning is is done more or less based on on the on the availability of your machines and and people. Uh, uh, where where um, the the, uh, the stock uh, is 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 handled automatically, where delivery is done automatically, um, so we're growing very rapidly into that situation that this becomes also available for uh, uh, the small and mid market. Uh, so not only for the Amazons of the Googles of, of this world of the ball.coms in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. uh, but also for uh, manufacturers. Um, and growing rapidly into that into that situation, and then yeah, in combination with low code, no code, there is so much uh, available and to do, uh, um, and, and and not forgetting robotics, by the way, uh, in the Netherlands, um, in the Benelux area, the amount of robots used to do the production, but everybody is screaming for uh, people to do the packaging, for instance, uh, the 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 utilization of robots is in the Netherlands in comparison to other countries very low it's it's very much tied into the the car manufacturers uh, like mm. germany but in general manufacturing it's still underutilized you can do a lot more with robotics for instance so um yeah I, I, exciting I, times yeah absolutely yeah. that was uh, really great i like the finishing of the uh, yeah self self-organizing autonomous factory um always heading in that direction um so. yeah lights what they also call a lights out factory right yeah yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> then we can all wait for <laughs> oh, we have some cnc machining uh, companies that that produce uh, let's say metal products where they do the standard production at night and nobody's there and, and the machine is just running the products and the lights are out nobody's there and if there is a problem with the machine, the uh, maintenance people get uh, a notification that there is something wrong. They can log on to the system, fix the problem uh, uh, remotely, and then start the production again. So it, it's happening, yeah. but in a step-by-step -step way. Yep. Incredible. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us, Rob. Yeah, thank you. that's it for another episode of the atlas podcast uh i have missed this for a couple of weeks but this week i have a quote for you martin well i'm very much looking forward to it and i have to say i've missed it so all good okay this one is james cash penny otherwise known as jc penny retail mogul and he said growth is never by mere chance it is the result of forces working together there you go collaboration collaboration we did a little um we did a little uh expresso article on collaboration didn't we so uh we did indeed on linkedin they can hunt that down i'll link it in the description there you go good all right see you next week cheers cheers martin if you have any thoughts on the atlas podcast please don't forget to leave us a review if you'd like to get in touch you can email us at podcast at weareatlas.com Follow us on Twitter at ATS underscore Atlas and you can like our LinkedIn page found in the episode description. 
If you want to know more about Atlas products, services and projects, head over to our website, weareatlas.com to find out more.